This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I want to talk to you this morning about brotherly love. And if there's one thing I would tell you individually and as a congregation this morning, it would be this. Remember to always let brotherly love flourish amongst you. Let it guide you. Let it be the bond that brings you close together and keeps you together. And let it be the light that we are dedicated to shining forth uh, to all those who are in the world today. I want to talk a little bit about love. There's a lot of misunderstandings and misconceptions about love in the world today. Love always starts with God. Always. Okay? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. It says, He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And that's why I say that love always starts with God. I want to talk to you for a moment about love. Love is the greatest motivator in the hearts of men. There's a lot of different things that motivate us. A lot of different things, a lot of different emotions, a lot of different feelings which motivate us to make decisions. Fear is a, is a great motivator. Many times we can be motivated by fear. And you know, there's a time and a place for fearing God. We're motivated by many different things. But what I would tell you today is the greatest motivator is love. As we're going to see in this next scripture, John 3, 16, love was the motivation behind God sending His Son, Jesus. In John three sixteen, the Bible tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, before God sent His Son, what did He do? He loved. He loved. Why did God send His Son? Would you give up your your only begotten child? Would you be able to send your son, your daughter, in the same way God sent His Son here to this earth with a mission to die for the sins of the world? It'd be awfully difficult for me. I would would just be honest with you and say it would be impossible for me to give up one of my children for, for that kind of a mission. I'd have to love the world a whole lot more than I do right now to give up one of my children to die for the sins of the world. But you know, God, before we were ever born, loved us so much that He was willing to send His Son Jesus to die for us. So you see, love is the great motivator that motivated God to send Jesus. And love is the great motivator that motivates us to uh, accept the sacrifice of Christ, believe it and obey it, and live lives that are pleasing to God. Love, love is fundamental. It's, it's part of the foundation. It should be at the heart and at the core of our faith. The greatest ingredient, the greatest motivator is love. Romans chapter 5 talks about the great love God had. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
We, we might be willing to die for a, someone we deem as a, as a good person, maybe a famous person, someone that we consider to be a great value to society, a great contributor to, to society. We, we might be willing to die for someone like that, someone who was high on our list of people who we deem uh, you know, good and, and righteous. But we weren't at the top of God's list. The Bible says when we were yet sinners... When we were at the bottom of the list, when we were at the bottom of the barrel, God saw us in our worst condition, in our worst state, and He said, I'll send my son to die for a lost world of sinners. That's a great love, isn't it, brothers and sisters? That's a great and mighty and tremendous love that God, God looked at us. He didn't, didn't see something that was great and say, oh yeah, I'll give my son for that greatness of mankind. No, He saw the ungodliness he saw the sinfulness. He saw how lost we truly were. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That's love. That's a great and mighty love that God first had for us before we ever knew him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, the Bible says this, We love him, why? Because he first loved us. A lot of people can't understand why they should love God, why they should live for God, why they should obey God. Most of the people in the world today who can't see a reason to love God really don't understand the love that God had for them first. We love God because He first loved us. He made us. He made this world. And even though man had disobeyed God many times, God still made a way for man, fallen man to get back to God. And it cost God the most precious and valuable possession He had. The death of His only begotten Son. Let's talk a little bit about Christ. We also need to realize that Christ loved us before we ever knew Him. In Ephesians 5 and 2, it says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Bible tells us we need to walk in love. Why? Well, not only because God loved us before we loved Him, but because Christ also loved us before we ever knew Him. You see, before Christ was born, before He came in the flesh, He existed eternally, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Before Christ ever came to this earth, before the Son of God ever came to this earth, He saw mankind. He saw how wicked they were. He saw how ungodly we were. He saw how lost we were. And yet he was still willing to come to this world, to live in this same world that we live in with all of its pain, with all of its heartache, with all of its misery. Imagine how good God's Son had it there at the, uh, at the right hand of God the Father. He left the splendors of heaven. He left a wonderful, wonderful place. A place we long to go to. He, he left that wonderful place to come down here and live a life, a, a sacrificial life to die for us. So you see, He has shown us His love long before we ever knew Him or long before we even had opportunity to love Him back. Revelation 1 and 5, the Bible says that uh, this revelation that John received was from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. He shed that blood that washes us clean from sin when we obey the gospel in baptism. 
He was willingly shed that blood because why? Because he loved us. Because he loved us. What does it mean to love God? Love always starts with God. We've seen that God the Father loved us. His Son Jesus Christ loved us long before we knew the Father or the Son. What does it mean to love God? Because God has loved us so much, we ought to feel a need to reciprocate and a need to return that love back to God. There's a lot of confusion in the world about what it means to love God. We need to properly understand what the Bible teaches about loving God. And it's, it's not complicated. It's actually very simple. If you love God, the Bible says very, very plainly that we'll keep His commandments. We'll obey Him. You know, my children love me. They love their mother. We've tried to teach them to be grateful and thankful for what they have, for the blessings of God. We've tried to teach them and train them to have a respectful attitude toward God and toward their parents. And, you know, we've also tried to teach them the importance of obedience. Every parent knows the importance of teaching children obedience. And, you know, it starts with gratitude, respect, and that's the foundation that you build on to, build, uh, to, to train children to obey. Teach them to have a grateful heart, respectful attitude, and obedience will come naturally, okay? But, but I want you to stop and, and think about this. If we love God, we'll obey Him. We're happy to do the things people ask us to do when we love them. I remember when me and J.C. first met back in high school and we were starting uh, to date and, and be together. And she had certain types of foods that she really liked to eat. And uh, because I loved her, I was going to go eat where she wanted to go eat. She said, I want Chinese food. I was going to go eat Chinese food. I was, <laughs> I was going to comply and obey with the request for Chinese food. Because it wasn't that I loved Chinese food. Now, I've, I've, I've grown to love Chinese food since then, but it's because I loved her. Because I loved her, I was happy and willing to do the things she wanted me to do. And that's how it is with our relationship with God. If we love God... If we truly love Him the way we should, we will obey Him. John, 15, uh, John 14 and 15, If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. You love God? Keep His commandments. John 15 and 14, Jesus said, Ye are my friends. We all want to be friends with the Lord. Amen. Jesus said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And you know, there are many times in our life where we might find it difficult to love God like we should, or to obey God like we should. Times we might struggle. Times we might give in to temptation. If we'll go back and check our love for the Lord, many times we'll find the deficiency in our faith. Many times we'll find the faith that we need to press forward and in the right pathway in the sight of God. It goes back to our love. If we really love God the way that we should, we'll obey Him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. For this, uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. This is the love of God, it says in verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Okay? 
If we love God, we'll keep His commandments. That's the, that's the first thing it means to love God. To love God, it means to keep His commandments. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 talks about the importance of obedience in the sight of God. This is an Old Testament story. You remember uh, the prophet Samuel appeared to King Saul and told him that God wanted him to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Why in the world would God command Israel to destroy the Amalekites? You go back and study the history in the book of Exodus and Numbers. It was the Amalekites who were constantly uh, invading and constantly persecuting and constantly coming and raping and pillaging and doing all kinds of hurtful things to Israel as they came up out of Egypt. There were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Israelites who came out of Egypt and they were on their way to the land that they'd promised, that God had promised their uh, forefather Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And many times it was the slow, the sick, the elderly, the diseased who were in the, 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 the hinder parts of that caravan that moved through the desert. And it was the Amalekites who would always come and attack Israel from the rear. Attack the most vulnerable of God's people. Trouble them, persecute them. And you know, God saw that. He saw the way the Amalekites treated His people Israel. And God said, I will remember their sins against them. God's a just God, isn't He? And you know, it was several hundred years later, but God said, I still remember what the Amalekites did to my people Israel, and I'm going to reward them according to their deeds. God told Saul to go down and destroy the Amalekites, utterly destroy everything they have. You remember the story, Saul went and made war with the Amalekites, but he saved the best of the oxen. He saved King Agag alive. He didn't kill King Agag, king of the Amalekites. And he saved the best of their livestock, supposedly for a sacrifice they were going to give to God. So Saul was somewhat obedient to the commandment of God, but he was not completely obedient to the commandment of God. He obeyed the God in a lot of what God told him to do, but then there was part of what God told him to do. He was disobedient. And this is what Samuel tells King Saul after all this had happened. In 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Saul said, you know, it's okay that we disobey God because we're going to save these livestock for a sacrifice to Him. It's okay that we didn't destroy it. We're going to give it as a sacrifice to God. See, Saul had rationalized out his disobedience, hadn't he? He had a good reason to disobey God. And this is what Samuel tells him. Do you think the Lord has as great delight in burnt offerings as in sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Now listen. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken. What's hearken mean? It means to listen. And to hearken than the fat of rams. Verse 23, for rebellion, disobedience, is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he, that's God, hath also rejected thee from being king. So what's, what's the point of all this? Here's the point. If we love God, we'll do the things God has asked us to do. And when we get this idea that we've got some good reason to, to disobey God or we've got something better to give God than what He's asked for, we need to stop. We need to humble ourselves. We need to remember lessons like these. What God really wants more than our sacrifices, more than all these good things that we dream up that we're going to give to God, 
You know what he really wants? He just wants our obedience. He's happier with that, with our obedience. And if we love God, if we love God, we need to obey him. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, the preacher Solomon has written 12 whole chapters about life, the different aspects of life, and really how there's a lot of what we get out of life is, true, is uh, truly in vain. A lot of it is meaningless compared to the importance of serving God and living forever with Him. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's how he sums up all 12 chapters of his wisdom. He says, fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. So simple. So simple. People want to make serving God and, and living for God so complicated. And it's just as simple as this. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Why? Because we love Him. Why do we love Him? He first loved us. Okay, it all goes back to love. Okay, the second thing it means to love God. To love God means to, to love Him back and obey Him. It also means that we ought to love our fellow man. Okay? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. This is Jesus answering a question that was posed to Him. Uh, a question was posed to Him about the greatest commandment. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, this was Jesus' answer. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So there's the first thing we need to, to do. We need to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. Verse 39, the second, the second, Jesus says, is like unto it. The second commandment, the second greatest commandment is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If we love God, the same God who sent his son Jesus to die, for the sins of everyone in the world. That's your sin. That's my sin. That's people's sin out here who drive up and down this highway. That's the sins of our neighbors. That's the sins of our co-workers. That's the sins of our boss. The sins of our employees. The same God that we love sent His Son Jesus to die for the sins of all of them. You know what that means we need to do? If God loved all of mankind that much, if He loved you and them the same way He loved me, I need to love my fellow man. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us. And I need to love our fellow man. We all need to love our fellow man. That's what it means to love God. 1 John 4 and 20. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. It's very plain and very simple. If we love God, we can't say, we, we can't say we should never say, you know, I hate my brother. I hate that person. I hate this person. Jesus died for that person. Now, as much as they might irritate us or get on our nerves or frustrate us, now we're going we're gonna to feel feelings like that from time to time. But at the end of the day, what, what do we have to remember? Jesus died for them as much as he died for me, and, I, and I'm going to love them. Because God loved them, because Christ loved them the same way he loves me, I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love my fellow man.
That's not always easy to do. Not always easy to do, but this is what God has called us to do. If we say that we love God, but then we hate people, I mean, the Bible says it, we're liars. We're liars. Something's wrong. If we love God, but we have hate in our heart for our, for our fellow man. What about loving ourselves? We've talked about what it means to love God. and What about loving ourselves? I want to speak to this for just a moment. I don't believe we should hate ourselves. I don't believe that we should look upon ourselves in such a way that we are very depressed and feel that we're not worthy uh, to live, feel that we're not worthy to be a part of the, of the body of Christ. There's an important time and a place for self-esteem, for understanding what makes us valuable in the sight of God. You know, what makes you valuable in the sight of God is not how good-looking you are. It's not how rich you are. It's not what talents you might have. It's not what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in. A lot of people base their self-worth and their self-esteem off physical things like that. What makes us valuable and important in the sight of God is the fact that God created us in His own image and that Jesus sent His Son to die for us. Those things ought to make us feel important and worthy we're not worthy of the sacrifice of Christ, but because Christ offers us an invitation to come to Him and be saved, we're worthy to respond to that great invitation of salvation. So there is a place for, for self-esteem and feeling good about ourselves, but listen, we've got to be careful that we don't love ourselves too much because it's a love of self more than a love of God that can lead us astray into many different types of sinful things. Let's be reminded about what Jesus says. To love Jesus means that we, there comes a point we've got to deny ourselves. Loving Christ means we deny ourselves. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. To follow Christ means we've got to deny self. The things... We like to do the things that make us happy, the things that make us feel good. If those things are out of the will of God, against the will of God, well, we've got to deny ourselves those things. And we've got to take up our cross and we've got to follow in the pathway God would have us to walk in. We need to beware of loving ourselves too much. We don't need to love ourselves so much that we become conceited, we become arrogant, we become proud people. We need to humble ourselves and see our own self-worth and our, our own values in the shadow of the cross, in the shadow of what Jesus did when he died, died for us. Bible talks about the last days being perilous times. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, uh, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now look here. He's going to describe some of the perilous times that would come in the last days. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. And what does that lead to? Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, and, and look at how he ends this. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You see why we've got to be careful? about loving ourselves too much. When we make it all about us, 
and too little about God, we end up following after some very sinful desires that we might have. Lovers of pleasure, the sinful pleasures of the flesh more than lovers of God. We need to love ourselves for all the right reasons. Those reasons being, one, we're created in the image of God. Number two, God sustains our lives. And number three, He provided a way for salvation for us through Christ. Amen. When the rubber meets the road, what, what do we say? When, what do we mean when we say, I love you? I don't know about y'all. I was raised in a family where we told one another we loved one another. I still tell my brothers, I love them. Uh, we were just raised in that kind of a family. That may seem kind of strange to, to some people. Uh, some people might not be as comfortable in being as open about the love they have for people. And that's okay. But uh, in my family, we were never afraid to say, I love you. Time to time, I may just break down and do that for one of y'all. I may tell you, I love you. If I do that, understand it's, it's, a, it's a Christian love I have in my heart for you. It's no other type of love but a, a pure Christian love that I have for each and every one of you. I learned in Belize that that's, uh, they're very uncomfortable when you say, I love you. <laughs> you give them a hug say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. That makes them very uncomfortable. Um, we had to train them and teach them. It, it's a Christian love that we're talking about, okay? What do we really mean when, when, I, when we say, I love you? When we say, I love you, it means I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you first. Galatians 5.13, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Look, but by love, serve one another. By love, we need to serve one another. We need to put others above ourselves. I will put you first. Why? Because I love you. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. When I say I love you, it means I'm going to do my very best to put you first. What you need, what you want, what you desire, I'm, I'm going to put that first. Above what I need, what I want, and what I desire. It also means that I will overlook and forbear with your faults. Now this, this right here will go a long way in helping y'all as a collective body and congregation of the Lord's church. Okay, If y'all will serve one another out of love and put each other first. And when, when mistakes are made, when words are said that shouldn't have been said, when actions are shown that shouldn't have been shown, if we will have a heart that's willing to overlook and forbear with people, you'll go a long way in maintaining the peace and the contentment in this congregation. I've seen more problems get started in the church by an unwillingness to overlook and forbear. Okay? Okay? Listen, I make mistakes. I know I do. I say things sometimes I shouldn't say. I have attitudes sometimes I shouldn't have. And because I acknowledge the fact that I fall into that, you know what? My brothers and sisters are probably going to fall into that too. And when they do, I'm going to try to be patient with them. Try to overlook, try to forbear in those areas where they, they might be weak, where they might slip, where they might stumble. You know, that's how I want people to be with me when I mess up. I want people to, as much as is possible, be patient and overlook and forbear with me when I don't have the right attitude, when I don't say the right things. Ephesians 4 and 1, I therefore the prisoner 
of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. How do we forbear with one another? We do it in love. When we love one another, it's easy for us to forbear with one another's weaknesses and shortcomings. But we don't, when we don't have the love between us that we ought to have, what do we do? As soon as one person steps out of the, out of the right path, oh, there he is. Look at him. He's on the wrong path. We're, we're, we're going to bring the hammer down on him. But when we love one another, look, we're willing to overlook and forbear with those faults that we might have from time to time. When we say I love you, it ought to mean that we will always tell one another the truth. We tell people the truth because we love them. Okay, in, in our culture today, in our society today, you know, telling people the truth is looked down upon. It's looked as being, you know, too close-minded, uh, being too direct. Uh, it, it's sort of off limits anymore, it seems like, in our culture today to set a person down and say, listen, I want to tell you the truth about this. I want to tell you the truth about what you believe. I want to tell you the truth about the way you're behaving, the way you're living. But folks, people need the truth. How, how could we be saved? How could we be in a right relationship with God without truth? So we, if we say we love somebody, we always ought to be willing to tell them the truth and do it in a kind, loving, patient manner. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love. It talks about how we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We need to always maintain an atmosphere, an environment... In this congregation where you can speak the truth in love to one another whenever that is needed. Okay, and that takes humility. It takes humility on my part that if, if I'm not doing something right and you come to me and you say, Brother, I, I want to tell you something the truth and I'm doing it in love. I need to have the humble heart to receive that. And if it's you that has to be the one who goes to somebody and, and has to be telling them the truth about something, you need to go in humility. And go in meekness, speaking the truth in love. If we'll do this one with another and be honest about this and be humble about it, it'll, it'll prevent so many different problems that oftentimes come in and oftentimes divide us and push us away from one another. We've got to tell the truth in love. Proverbs 27 and 5 says, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. There may be times you've got something to tell me that hurts me. Hurts me. But if it's the truth, then that's what I need. You know, it may hurt me, but if it's the truth, I know that you're my friend. If all you ever do is come and tell me how good I am, and there's never anything James does wrong, he's just... If that's all it ever is, if it's just... What's it say about the kisses of an enemy? The enemy is the one you've got to worry about, always wanting to you know, pat you on the back and tell you how, every, how good everything is. Right? That's, that could be the enemy. A friend will tell you the truth when you need to know it. Aren't you thankful for people in your life that have told you the truth in love when you needed to know it? There have been many times that I was outside the truth. I, wasn't in line with the truth. I needed to know some truth I hadn't known before. And people come into my life and showed it to me in love. I'm thankful for that. When we say I love you, 
It ought to mean that we won't let each other turn away from God. We need to hold one another accountable. You need to hold me accountable. I need to hold you accountable. We ought not let one another turn away from God. James 5.19, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. If I see my brother and he's, he's going away from the truth, he's, he's in the path of error, he's in the path of sin, I don't want him to go that way. I love him. I want to try to get him back. Let's go get him back. Let's get him back on the right path. And when we're able to do that, the Bible says that we hide a multitude of sins. We're, we're uh, taking part in a process that hides the multitude of sins. If we can reach out in love and help people stay on the right track and not let them turn away from God. That's what true love is. Is it loving to watch a person get off on the wrong track and just, just wave goodbye at them as they walk away? As they do? <laughs> That's not love. To see somebody maybe walking, I don't know, down a sidewalk on their cell phone and they're distracted and there's an open manhole right in their path and they're, they're about to step off into that manhole. Is it loving for us to just stand back and just get our cell phone out and start videoing? And That's not love. Love is, stop, let me help you, let me show you. You're in danger, right? Speaking the truth in love to people, okay? Not letting people turn away from God. 1 Peter 4 and 8, Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. If, if we'll love one another like we should, it'll cover so many sins and it'll take care of so many different problems that we're apt to have with one another from time to time. Love and charity covers over, covers over all of those things. When I say I love you, it means that I'm always going to be willing to try to forgive and forget. Okay, there's a place for overlooking and forbearing with one another's weakness, weaknesses. There's also a place for forgiving people who trespass against us and then putting those trespasses in the past. Okay? We ought to be willing to forgive and, and forget. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And look at 32, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as, Christ, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We need to put away all of these things in verse 31 and be kind and tender-hearted. We need to be willing to forgive one another in, in the same way and for the same reason that Christ has forgiven us of so much. In Luke chapter 23 Verse 33, I want you to see the, the example of forgiveness that Christ set for us. In Luke 23, this, this, is the, this is the chapter that talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want you to think about what mankind has done to the Son of Man. They spit on Him. They blasphemed Him. They beat Him. They slapped Him. They put a crown of thorns on His head. They scourged Him. They put Him on a cross and hung Him up between heaven and earth. And, and after all of that, after all of that, I want you to look at the example that Jesus sets for us as He's hanging on a cross and dying. Luke 23, 33, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the male factors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, what would you have said? What would you have said to all those people who'd done all those terrible things to you? I know what I might like to say to them. 
What did Jesus say? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus sets the bar very, very high. Right here. If he was willing to forgive all those people who done all those terrible things to him, we ought to be able to forgive one another. We ought to be able to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ when they trespass against us. Jesus forgave his enemies, the people that hated him, the people that butchered him. He looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. And he meant it. He meant it. And that, that, that ought to remind us and motivate us, inspire us to forgive one another the way that God has called us to do so. So to kind of wrap all, all this up this morning, we stop and think about Christ as our perfect example. We stop and think about what the Scriptures command us to do when it comes to loving one another. True brotherly love, as we've studied from Scripture this morning, it shows mercy. True brotherly love grants forgiveness. True brotherly love sacrifices self. True brotherly love serves others. Brothers and sisters, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Let it be the glue that binds y'all together and keeps you strong. Let this example that we have from Scripture of brotherly love pervade every thought, every word, every action, every plan we put together. Let's, let's make sure brotherly love is the main ingredient of it. Because you know, the scriptures teach us about brotherly love and then Christ shows us the perfect example for us. You think about the love we ought to have for one another. It's the same type of love Christ had for us. He showed mercy. He grants forgiveness. He sacrificed himself. He came to serve others. We need to do likewise one with another. Okay? The last thing I'd call your attention to this morning is the fact that without love in everything that we think, say, and do together, without that love... Our service to God is in vain. I would hate to think that we spent a lifelong, uh, a, a life of serving God and, and working hard for Him and, and reading and studying and praying and worshiping and to live a life of service to God, but in, in, in the end it was all in vain. That's a scary thought. But you know, the Bible tells us if we don't have love at, at the center of all of it, it will be in vain. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, Though I speak, Paul says, with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I don't have love, I'm become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, he says, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, he says, it profiteth me Little, or excuse me, profiteth me nothing. Profiteth me nothing. Without love, at the center of everything we do for, for the Lord and for one another, it's all in vain. That's why love's so important. That's why I believe it's so important for this congregation to remember this love. Let it be the part of the foundation that you build on here as you move forward as a, a body of believers, as a family of God. 1 John 3, 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to give up and give lessons about love and talk about love all day. Scriptures are very, very plain about it. The challenge comes when the final amen is said and we visit with one another and we go our separate ways. That's when the challenge starts, putting it into practice, right? Amen. 
So let's, let's, let it, let's uh, be dedicated and committed this morning that we're not just going to talk about it, not just going to hear a lesson about it. We're going to do it. We're going to put it into practice. We're going to love not only in word, but we're also going to love in, in deed and in truth and in every action that we uh, perform for the Lord, we're, we're going to do it out of love. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.